Hi, I'm Ellie McGuire, and this is Shaking the Bushes. I have stories about living in the biggest city in the world, New York City, and in the smallest state in the country, Rhode Island. I can tell you about spending two and a half weeks with a former president and first lady and about how my dog had a pivotal part in me actually holding a real live Oscar. And I have questions too like, what's up with all these bunnies in my backyard here in Warwick? Or as my New York City friends would say, what's a backyard? I grew up in Warwick, left to see the world, and then came back home. What's more Rhode Island than that? I hope you enjoy Shaking the Bushes. I recently saw a segment on the CBS Sunday Morning Show. It was a story about a teenage girl from Rhode Island who heard about a casting call for Netflix's adaptation of the Pulitzer Prize-winning World War II novel, All the Light We Cannot See. This Rhode Island girl, Aria Mia Liberte, had never, ever acted before. And during this segment, they showed her recording a very simple homemade video from her bedroom for her audition tape. Aria sent it in and now has the lead role playing the heroine in this huge Netflix four-part series. So what were the odds that this unknown, never-acted-before human being would land the lead role in this highly anticipated Netflix show? Add to that amazing accomplishment the fact that Arya is blind, just like the character she would be playing. I was totally mesmerized by this story. Not only is Arya from my home state, little Rhodey, but I think we all love to see the little guy, or in this case, this young woman, beat the odds and win. But it made me wonder, how many well-intentioned family members or friends said to her, hey, Arya, we applaud the efforts, but don't get your hopes up, or... Aw, how sweet. But come on, you never acted before. The moral of the story, for me anyway, was that she didn't listen to any naysayers, didn't give up, she gave it a shot, and now she has the role of a lifetime in this new Netflix series. Trust me, I am the queen of listening to what other people think. And failures? I've had a few, so few to mention. (laughs) That's not really true. I've had a lot. I've tried many times, and I've failed many times. But for some reason, something in my DNA keeps putting me back up on that horse to try again. Which makes me remember a story about that, getting back up on the horse. My uncle owned a gentleman's farm up in Gloucester, Rhode Island. As a young kid, for whatever reason, I used to get, excuse the pun, farmed out to the farm. After schools on Friday, someone would drive me up there. It was a 45-minute drive from Warwick to Gloucester, Of course, being a Rhode Islander, that seemed so pack-your-bags far away. I would spend the weekend at the farm. Seems a bit weird now, but I didn't mind since I loved hanging out in the barn with the horses and all the cats and the kittens. My uncle eventually married a wonderful, fun woman. Hi, Aunt Betsy, who was an expert equestrian. Together, my aunt and uncle raised Arabian horses. One time, when I was probably in junior high school... I was spending a lot of time up there and was in the horse ring riding one of their stallions. I even remember his name, Nasir, the most beautiful Arabian horse. And like so many young girls my age, I was obsessed with horses. Anyway, my aunt left me riding Nasir in the ring to go back to the farmhouse to get ready for some evening event. 
A little sidebar, I have to tell you, my uncle passed, but my aunt still, to this day, owns this magnificently renovated 19th century farmhouse and estate. I was a relative from the other side of the tracks. Okay, back to Nasir and me. I was riding him around the ring, framed by wooden fencing, with a view of all these old stone walls as far as the eye could see, looking like something out of an Irish countryside postcard. I was using the reins to get Nasir to go from a walk to a trot, then back to walk. Everything was going great. I was in horse heaven. And that's when Nasir decided to get me off his back, so to speak, which I'm sure a lot of people would like to do. (laughs) Or maybe he was just distracted by a filly in the next field or something. Whatever bug was up his bonnet, he went from zero to 60, breaking into a full gallop with me holding on for dear life. Not a fan or graduate of Gallup 101, I eventually fell off. I remember slowly leaning up on one elbow to see my aunt come running down the dirt lane to the ring. After a quick check to see that I was okay and there were no broken bones, she went to corner Nasir. Grabbing the reins and calming him down, she walked Nasir back over to me. Like a bad first date, Nasir was the last guy, I mean stallion, I wanted to see at that moment. But... My aunt was smart enough to know that I needed to get back on that horse, not to give up, to not be afraid, or I would literally never get back on that horse. So, in between short gasps from me trying to catch my breath from being tossed off this massive creature and trembling a bit from being tossed, I slowly stood up and wiped myself off. And after much coaxing from my aunt, I put one foot into a stirrup, hoisted myself up and over the back of this defiant creature, and once again, Back in the saddle, so to speak, I took the reins and gently clicking my heels against his side, I instructed Nasir to move forward. And boom! Nasir made that neighing horse sound that horses like to make, stood up on his hind legs, and I was once again thrown off and onto the ground. Needless to say, I did not get back up on that Fakaka horse. So, the moral of that story? Who the F knows? But for some reason, Even after getting back on that horse and falling off again, I did not give up. Believing anything can happen is part of my DNA. The rest of my DNA, I have no clue, but that's a whole nother story. (laughs) But hearing Arya's story reminded me of my first movie story. But wait, before you compare me to her amazing story, I must manage your expectations. I did not capture lightning in a bottle and land a big movie part in a movie like Arya did. But, like her, I was too naive to think I couldn't win, so why not try? It was the early 90s, and I was living in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia, and commuting to my job at WTEM, a sports radio station in Gaithersburg, Maryland. I knew it wasn't a job I wanted to stay in, plus I had taken some acting classes in Baltimore and thought, hmm, I like this. Put me in, coach. But I had heard one of the big rules of acting floating around these classes— No, it had nothing to do with talent, nor did it have anything to do with hard work. It was all about getting auditions so you could land good-paying acting jobs. Okay, the rule? Back in the 90s, if you wanted to be sent out on auditions for good acting roles, it was advised that you become a member of the Screen Actors Guild, also known as SAG. But get this, in order to get your SAG card, you had to have an acting credit in a movie. But how could you do that if you didn't have your SAG card? Urgh, Hollywood, La La Land, you're killing me. It was like being a kid again and getting locked out of a game or not being invited to a birthday party. So, 
as I drove around Maryland, D.C. and Virginia, knocking on company doors, trying to get advertising dollars for the sports radio station I was working for, I pondered, how the heck can I get my SAG card? Hey, I was a good Catholic schoolgirl who was taught to follow the rules. And if the rules was you needed a SAG card to act in good roles, then, God damn it, I was going to get my SAG card. But how? In the midst of pondering this SAG card puzzle, I got a call from a casting agent. What? How the hell did that happen? Well, in the acting class I went to, we were asked to submit a headshot and resume. And it seems that my headshot made it over to this Baltimore casting agency, who was doing the casting for a new John Waters movie, Serial Mom, with Kathleen Turner, Sam Waterston, and Ricky Late, to name just a few stars. I was called to be a background actor in a courtroom scene in Serial Mom on the following Monday. By the way, for your information, a background actor is just a fancy name for an extra, and it really doesn't mean a hill of beans to advance your acting career. But to be on a movie set and to get to know the lay of the land and knowing full well it is all about connections and who knows who you might meet, I decided it would be worth it to take a day out of work. But what would be my excuse to get a day off from working for a bunch of male chauvinistic sports-obsessed guys? Woman's problems. <laughs> that was it. What guy would ever question a woman if she says she can't come to work because she has woman's problems? <laughs> so I had a plan. And my instructions from the casting agency were to dress in business attire like you were going to spend a day in court. That was easy for me to do. I dressed every day in business attire. Back then, I was still wearing <laughs> nylons. Hey, it was the 90s. And I just had to be on the set at 6 a.m. What? Hold the boat. 6 a.m.? I am not a morning person. And the courtroom where they were filming was in Baltimore, an hour's drive without traffic, which means I was going to have to get up by 4 a.m. to get ready and leave by 5 a.m. 5 a.m.? I was usually just getting home most nights at 5 a.m. <laughs> but hey, no pain, no gain. So off I went to Baltimore that Monday morning. I spent a day as a courtroom reporter sitting right behind Kathleen Turner, who was playing the perfect housewife, defending herself against being accused of multiple murders as her movie husband, Sam Watterson, and her kids looked on. Her daughter was played by Ricky Late, by the way, and Patty Hearst was playing juror number eight, and even the late, great Suzanne Summers made a cameo appearance playing herself. I love Suzanne Summers. I met her once, and she changed my life. Stay tuned for that story in another podcast. But back to Serial Mom. So instead of sitting at a desk trying to cajole clients into spending their advertising dollars on the radio station I was working for, I was sitting in a Baltimore courtroom watching the weird but amazing John Waters direct all these well-known celebrities to make his movie. It was worth getting up so early, driving in the dark for an hour, using a map. Okay, Google the word M-A-P if you don't know what I'm talking about. Just being on the set for the day, a very long day that went into the evening, was quite the experience. When they wrapped for the day, it was around 7 o'clock and dark, and I still had an hour's drive. I was exhausted, but it was a good exhausted, and I made 100 bucks on top of my regular salary. Now, 30 years later, I guess I can admit, without being struck by lightning, that I was double-dipping. <laughs> and then, that same person who wrapped us made the announcement. Maybe it was an assistant director or the wrangler for the extras. Excuse me, darling, I mean background actors. I don't remember. But what I do remember is what he said after, that's a wrap. <laughs> 
Okay, everyone, see you tomorrow, same time, same place, and wear exactly what you have on today. Don't change a thing. We need you to sit in the same place, wear the same thing for continuity. Wait, what? Continuity? What is this person talking about? I've got to go to work work tomorrow. Clearly, I was an extra, I mean background actor, virgin, and someone failed to tell me from the casting agency that this shoot might be for more than one day. Jiminy Cricket! I had stomach aches the whole drive home. What was I going to tell my boss? Long story short, I called my boss from the set in Baltimore the next morning, and the next morning, and the next morning, for five frickin' mornings with, wait for it, women's problems. (laughs) Ah, women's problems. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) But get this. I called my radio clients on film breaks. I remember calling from a phone booth. Yup, a phone booth was right smack in the hallway of this courthouse. I closed the door and smiled and dialed. And I got some orders. And you know what my boss said when I called in my orders? From the phone booth with the glass door closed so he couldn't hear all the noise at the Baltimore courthouse with the likes of Suzanne Summers and John Waters walking by? My boss said, and I quote, Hey, Ellie, don't worry about those women's problems. Just stay where you are and keep getting those orders. <laughs> and that's just what I did for a whole week on the set of Serial Mom. But the icing on the cake... Just like Arya, who never acted before and bravely stood in front of her bedroom door and made a simple tape of her acting out a few lines and sent it to Netflix and got the lead part in a huge Netflix series, I, too, took a risk and showed up every dark, frickin' cold early morning for a week. And little did I know that if you worked as a background actor for five days on a movie, you automatically da 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 Got your SAG card. I got my SAG card. Woo-woo! A fun sidebar. A few years later, still in the 1990s, while living in L.A., yes, I had moved to L.A., I was on the set of another movie called Baby Genius. For three weeks, I played one of the background nannies. Translation, it was still background work. And guess who was the lead on that movie as well? Kathleen Turner. Yep, she played the villain of one of the worst movies I've ever seen, by the way. Hey, don't take my word for it. Read the write-up in the New York Times. Anyway, I distinctly remember, after Miss Turner would do a scene, her assistant would go running out to her, and as Kathleen would lean against her, this assistant would remove her high heels and put on these big, fluffy slippers. And all I could think of as I sat on a hard, fold-up chair in the corner of this set, freezing my ass off because they probably needed to keep the set cold, or more likely they just didn't want to pay to heat up the enormous room the set was in. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. I'm thinking as I watched that ritual every day, where were my slippers? All of us background players were making a hundred bucks a day plus overtime, and Miss Turner was probably pulling down millions. We were the ones who needed the slippers. But I digress. Years later, after I moved to New York, I was at a restaurant in my neighborhood, sitting at a high-top table, looking out the window with my back to the small bar. I was waiting for a friend, sipping a drink when all of a sudden I heard this booming voice coming from the bar. I froze. I knew that voice, listened to that voice for five days in Baltimore and three weeks in Los Angeles. I turned around and there, with her back to me, sitting at the bar, was my old buddy Kathleen Turner. Not really, but you know what I mean. 
Well, I sat there for a moment. I felt like I knew her. Should I go over and say something? Ask her if she had an extra pair of slippers for me? You have to understand, on the set, you were never, ever supposed to talk to the star. God forbid you broke the rules, got thrown off the set, and could not pay your rent. But now we were just two people in a bar having a drink. Oh, what the hell, I thought. There are no rules here. So I got up and walked over to the bar and said, Hi, Miss Turner. I just wanted you to know that I sat behind you on Serial Mom, and I played one of your nannies in Baby Genius. I feel like I know you. And in her booming voice, she said, Baby Genius, we both weren't paid enough. But back to my SAG card and Aria Mia Liberti. Yes, I got my SAG card. But apples to oranges, Aria got to work in Budapest as the lead in her first Netflix series, All Expenses Paid, and I'm guessing made buku bucks. But still, the moral of this story, whether you want it or not, (laughs) I believe that even if rules are stacked against you and everyone is telling you it will never happen, with persistence and determination, it can happen. And if you don't give up, eventually it will happen. Damn, I got to remember that the next time I get another rejection letter for my memoir. (laughs) When you wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are Although I beg to differ, but yes, it does Persistence and determination are the key Unless your name is Taylor or Brittany (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with me at Shaking the Bushes You can learn more about me and my memoir called Wait for it Shaking the Bushes at my website elliemaguire.com and thank you to the Warwick Public Library where this podcast is recorded and where I've been a visitor since it opened back in 1965 wait a minute that's so weird since I'm only 39 (laughs) see you next time on Shaking the Bushes